Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you with us again this week during this exciting study from Warren Litzman on the cross. This program is presented each week by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out, christ-life.org. Now, today is part five of Warren's study on the cross. He will be starting with John 12, 26. John 12, 26 is where we start today. Here's Warren. Let's go to another verse. Verse 20, 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now, this is a verse where we rightly divide. This is Jesus saying, listen to the words I'm speaking. I'm talking about death and the cross. That's good. That's what we're after in this portion of Scripture. But then he says, once again, follow me. Follow me. How many times we've had somebody preach to us the words of Jesus, come follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Take up your cross and follow me and so forth. We have it written vividly in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. All of that is a part of the establishment of the kingdom. So he said, if any man serve me, let him follow me. How do I know that verse needs to be separated right off? Because born again, children of God are not servants. Nowhere in grace are we servants. Why did he call the children of the kingdom servants? Because they had no birthing from their father. Israel was never birthed. Nobody was birthed during Christ's ministry. The birthing only took place when the Holy Spirit came, and as Paul said, the Holy Spirit will place you in Christ. So here's a good place to separate scriptures. Well, this business of following Jesus did continue. Whenever Jesus gave this final gospel to the apostle Paul, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So in a sense, we were still following Christ, but we were following him through the one to whom Christ gave the final gospel of grace. So you see, if we take the scriptures and interpret them by grace, they look a lot better. Why do I follow Paul instead of Jesus as it says in this verse? Because the Jesus you follow in this verse was under a different set of circumstances, was basically still under the law. We're not under the law. If you get under the law, that's a choice you make. A bad choice you make, but that's a choice you make. Under the law. So we rightly divide that verse of Scripture. It's a good verse. It's a verse of the Holy Spirit. It's the words of Jesus. But we have to know to whom he's speaking and what his message is. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came out of this world. Now see, that's, that's a good verse, because that reaches into the depth of the cross once again. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. 
He believes in miracles. Shall he ask God for a miracle and prevent the death? Or shall he free will give himself? That's what's in this verse. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Save me? No, it's but for this hour that I came into this world. Now, as we get closer and closer to this message of the cross, you're going to ask yourself this question. Do I have to go through these things to really be what I ought to be for God? Do I have to suffer the loss of all things? Do I have to deal with self? What I made, am I willing to give that up? What am I willing to do? And depending on your background, you may say, well, God will give me a miracle and I won't have to do any of this. But you see what you did, you went from the inner to the outer. And there's still no change. If Jesus had gotten a miracle and did not have to go to the cross, what would have happened to us? We'd all still be looking for the Messiah. We would be right along with where Israel is today, lost. A little handful of us would find some consolence in the scripture. He could have had a miracle. And we'll see that when we get to the cross. He could have performed miracles any number of times. Oh, what a good, strong, 33-year-old man. Not pray for a miracle to pick up the cross and carry it. Why not? I can think of all the times a miracle would have been some good. Helped him out a little. But the cross is no outer thing, though it is the greatest outer display of God's grace that the eye can behold. It's not what you see there. It's what really happened inside. He didn't pray to be saved from it. Now let me digress from the cross for a moment. Because any number of people who listen to me are going to have this problem. I can't, I can't understand this. I can't go any further with this. And I'm praying that the Lord will just take this thing out of my mind so I'm not bothered by Christ's life anymore. Good luck. <laughs> You see, you don't get a miracle when the Holy Spirit pushes you on in the things of the Lord. You're not going to get a miracle. Your search for the fullness of Christ is going to come out of hunger and love. You'll get no miracle. He'll not save you from it only to postpone it till another time. A fellow come to me not long ago and said, I'm just not ready for this now. Well, I said, uh, uh, have you heard the message? Yes, I've heard the message. I'm just not ready for it. Well, I said, good luck to you. Too late. You've heard already. 
He said, what do you mean by that? I said, you're choosing to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. Because you're not going to get away from it. It's God's word. You're not going to get away from it. It's not going to depart from you. You're not going to pray, God, take all this away from me. Not going to happen. Once caught, no escape. There's no escape from truth. So it's going to cost. What is the cost? He's not going to give you a miracle. There's no miracle. The miracle is you're hungry. There's no miracle that he'll take it away and pat you on the back and say, well, we'll just deal with this later. It doesn't work like that. You're caught. Verse 28 says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And he did. Three times. The verse says three times. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both two times. And we'll do it again three times. Three times heaven spoke. Last time heaven spoke was the three times in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Time number one, John the baptism, water baptism service. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Isn't that something? Heaven spoke when Jesus came up out of the water in water baptism. Why? Because that was God's plan. That was God putting a fresh page on the book for Israel. And if Israel followed through, the kingdom would be restored and Jesus would set up a throne on earth. First time God spoke, my son whom I well pleased. Second time God spoke with Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were astounded and like all preachers wanted to build a building. In fact, they wanted to build three of them. They were really, they like Baptists. Baptists don't stop, start with one, stop with one building. They just keep on building. I was one, I know. He spoke and said, this is my son, hear him. Hear him. He said that Peter, James, and John were there. And he's saying to these three leading apostles, hear him. And then he spoke again on Palm Sunday. Now what is most ironical in heaven speaking is that he never spoke at the cross. Deepest trial Jesus ever went into. The heavens were silent. never spoke wouldn't you like to know that when you're in your deepest most lonely 
place you've ever been in in the Lord, waiting on God to reveal something to you, wouldn't you like to hear him say something to you? Maybe you're seriously ill. Everybody is praying and you're just looking for an answer. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he just spoke to you? Said something to you? Make you feel good about it all? He never speaks as the trial is being worked out. So what has he done to you and I? Right now, wherever you are in the Lord, he's called you the beloved. He's called you his offsprings. He's called you his children. He's called you heirs and joint heirs. He has come behind in no placating of you. You're his. He loves you. But I'm going to tell you, when you get in the deepest trial you've ever been in, You'd love to hear his voice. But you may not hear it. This is the last time he speaks. Others around him heard what was said. The people, therefore, that stood by heard it and said it thundered. Or an angel spoke to him. Jesus said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Dear friend, he may not speak to you. In your search to know Jesus as fullness in you, he may not tell you things, but he may put you in this book. I've made no pretense about it. You need to get in Paul's epistles. If you want God to talk to you, Get in Paul's epistles. Don't mess around. Don't look for him to talk through Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, or Moses, or David, or Daniel, or anybody else. Get in Paul's epistles. That's the place he talks to the born again, to the children he birthed. Those are letters to the church. The church is you, the born again. Get in that and let him talk to you. You'd love for him to say something personal to you. But he's going to talk through the words of this book. Get in Paul's epistles. Live there. Live there. Until you can stand alone and know you're all right. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. We're getting ready now for another deep relationship with the Lord. We're going to skip a lot of things getting to the cross. I'm not going to talk about the trials he was on, he was in. But I'm going to talk to you about Gethsemane. Because Gethsemane is the greatest opening into the plan of God. Uh, it's the greatest opening into Ephesians 1 and 4. It's 
Gethsemane is the first time that God's original intent for earth beings takes place. So we're going to spend a little time at Gethsemane. We're going to come right out of Palm Sunday. And we're going to go in now to a place where I don't have to rightly divide the scriptures where it's clear. What is so clear about Gethsemane? And why is Gethsemane so important in God's plan? Because that's the first place there is an in Christ position for the born again. Gethsemane. That's the first time God has ever placed human beings in Christ. So you see, that becomes very important. That's our first introduction to it. Well, I dare say many of us only have a very scant knowledge, just a general view of what took place in Gethsemane. But that was that was a most important, most important place at Gethsemane. And so we're going to we're going to go there next. And I'm going to only introduce it to you right now because it's going to be a little longer story. Gethsemane. The Lord's Prayer has been prayed, John 17. And then you know what happens? Strange thing happens. When the Lord left the upper room for Gethsemane, the scripture says they sing a song. The only time Jesus ever sang a song was on his way to Gethsemane. Be interesting to know what uh, page that was out of our book. <laughs> but they sang a song and went to the garden. We're going to get the ground rules for the new life now. There's going to be a whole new life. There's going to be a whole new principle. There's not going to be one thing for this new life or this new gospel that will be drawn out of any other part of the scriptures. That's why Gethsemane is so important. Nothing that is introduced to us in God's plan from Gethsemane on is to be taken out of any of the rest of the Word of God. So many people are going to argue with you there's just one gospel, but not when you really analyze it, dear friends. The gospel of grace takes nothing out of the past. The reason for that is it is a gospel directed to Gentiles and Gentiles have no past in the scriptures. We don't have any past. Oh, a time or two the Lord dealt with Gentile nations. Uh, usually when he was spanking Israel, he had blessed a Gentile nation. Even Jesus of Nazareth had no place for Gentiles. He called them dogs. 
two times he dealt with Gentiles. One time he called them a dog, and neither time did he feel like his message belonged to them. And it didn't. But his grace was sufficient, and he met the need at hand. So Gethsemane is the beginning of a whole new gospel and plan of God. Because that's the way Paul saw it. Remember this. Paul never reveals anything about Jesus of Nazareth except beginning at Gethsemane. Isn't that interesting? I've told you that so many times before. Paul has not one single miracle of Christ. Not one dead from raised from the dead. Not one healing is spoken of in grace. Not because he didn't believe those things, but those things came under another gospel. And the new gospel of grace would have none of those things as characteristics. Now, why is it that the kingdom message has such great outer flurry, signs, wonders, and miracles, and so forth? It's because Israel had nothing to happen inside of them to draw them to God. That's why she was always a backsliding, rebellious nation. She had nothing inside of her to hold her to God. So all God could do was give them one miracle after another. And he did, beginning all the way back in Pharaoh's bondage. He, he sent the death angel. That was the first thing. Next thing, uh, he opened up the Red Sea and let Israel come into the wilderness, provided for them 40 years in the wilderness by signs, wonders, and miracles, and so forth. Just one miracle after another. When he called his disciples, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe. Why? Because Israel had to be held by the outer things. Now, that may seem like I don't believe in miracles. I do. I, I believe he's a miracle working God, and I believe Christ in me brings about miracles, gravitates them in my own life. But my gospel is no longer held by that. And that gospel in the kingdom was held by signs, wonders, and miracles. That's the only way he could hold Israel because you had no heart thing with God. It's that way today. In fact, there will be miracles for Israel today and has been since, since uh, the early church. Israel has had one miracle after another, getting back to the land and all of that. That's God dealing with Israel. It has nothing to do with us, but God still must give Israel some miracles. And of course, in the tribulation period, she'll get her final miracles. And in the millennium, she'll rule and reign on this earth. But see, that has nothing to do with us. Don't spend your time trying to become an Israelite. You won't like it if it ever worked. You wouldn't like it. Remember, half of Israel is going to be killed before she ever accepts a Messiah. So it's a hard day ahead for Israel. But Israel was never believers because she had no heart for God. You're different. You've had something to happen on the inside of you that makes you have a heart for God. Christ is in you. Christ is in you, praise God. And so as we get to Gethsemane, we've come to a place to where things begin to open up. We begin to see God's plan anew and afresh. 
we see that God doesn't have to do anything outward for a great miracle to take place inwardly. That's what we're getting into. You see, I'd like to see great outward things too. But we're not going to have them. We're not going to have them. I want to close this session by talking to you about something that deviates from this message a bit. But I want to talk to you about the silence of God. Why doesn't God holler at us today? We're his bona fide sons. Oh, you're always running to somebody. God told me this or God hollered at me and said that. Uh, there wouldn't even be anybody around wondering if it was angels or spooks that were talking. That's just them. Not saying that it wasn't real to them. It was probably. But God doesn't do that anymore. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't intervene in this world? Have you ever stopped to think that in the Old Testament, God intervened constantly in this world, straightening out things? He did things. Look at the miracles he performed. I don't mean in personal lives. I mean in the world. He knocked down dictators. He straightened out erring nations. He provided for the people who were in his name. But did you know, ever since God set Israel aside... In Acts 28, God has never moved in this world to correct the world again. Now, that doesn't mean you and I haven't had miracles. I've had a lot of them. I could tell you story after story. But God's never intervened in this world again. You know why? This world belongs to Israel. They are the earthly people. And when Israel denied Jesus to be their Messiah, the heavens were shut. And the heavens have become silent. You know the next time the heavens will open up? It'll be in the tribulation period when the Antichrist begins to be revealed and all of the judgments begin to come on the world, all of a sudden, there'll be blood, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be all sorts of catastrophes taking place direct from God's hand. Why? He's back again dealing with Israel. Why didn't he do that for us? We're his children. Ah, it's because we are his children. Israel was never his children. Israel's never been birthed by God. Israel still claims Abraham as father. And they should. But God's never been their father. And they are never called, except in one instance, the children of God. They are never the children of God. We are the children of God. Because to be a child of God, you have to be birthed by God. 
and Israel's never been birthed by God. She is a chosen nation. She is a called people. So the heavens are silent. If you ever prayed the prayer, why doesn't heaven straighten out our government? Why doesn't he straighten out our world? Now that doesn't mean that there won't be storms and pestilence and earthquakes. We have those things just regularly. That's, that's built into the course of the operation of this world. But the heavens are silent until Israel comes back again into prominence. There'll be no shaking in this world like we've known in the scriptures. There's a verse over in the Psalms that says that the heavens become silent by the sins of God's people. Now, don't equate that with him being your father and you being his child. And so I must remind you once again that when God deals with you, he deals with you as his bona fide offspring, like a father should. So there's no telling what he may do for you. There's no telling what miracles he may give to you. It may be he'll supply your need, heal your body, work out things you never dreamt possible. But he'll not change the course of this earth because the earth doesn't belong to you. You're no part of this earth. You're strangers and sojourners here. So while you're his child and he will take care of you, that's one thing. But if you're looking for him to straighten out this world and make it a better place to live, he won't do it. In fact, this world will probably become more evil as time goes along. It'll probably be harder on us as his children to make it. But that's where Paul's message comes in. His grace is sufficient. We'll make it. It's going to be hard on us, but we'll make it. There'll be bad, hard days, but we're going to make it. The heavens appear to be silent now, but God is not silent to his children. That's why it's so important to be a child of God in these days, because you have that blessed hope that everything's going to be all right. That hope is in him. He will provide for you and he'll take care of you. But at the same time, he does nothing for Israel. See, they're set aside. She suffers and she hurts. She has no miracles like she had in the past. She's been set aside, and God operates under a different gospel now. That's why I hate to see people mix Israel and the church together, because Israel is operating under an old plan. We're operating under the grace of God, a new plan of God. And so we continue. He loves you. You're his father. He'll take care of you. Treat him like that. And always remember, <clears throat> you're different than anybody else that God ever created. And whenever you call out to your Father God, 
he'll deal with you as if he had no other children. See? That's the way he dealt with Israel. He dealt with Israel as if no other nation existed. But he deals with you whom he has birthed as if there were no other children he had. A lady said to me not long ago, I got a lot of problems. I said, well, if you turn them over to the father. Well, she said, I wanted to, but he's got so many children. I don't know. I don't know how he could be interested in what happens to me. I said, I want to tell you when you call out to him, you're the only child he has. Only God could do that. He gives you the only channel he has. So keep talking to him. Keep talking to him. He's your father. He never fails. Amen. I quit right there. Okay, we'll stop right here, but pick up next time as Warren Litzman continues this great study on the cross. We'd like to invite you to visit our website, if you will. It's Christ-Life.org. Christ-Life.org. Read all about us and be sure and visit our bookstore and see some of the wonderful gems that Warren left behind. Robbie Litzman, we'd like to thank for letting us go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful sessions. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by the very talented Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.